You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, we enter into our final month of the book of Acts. That's hard to believe, and what a ride it has been. Now, without looking at the screen behind me, yeah, right. Without looking at the screen beside me, all right, as much as you say, that, hey, don't look here, don't look here, don't look here, right? And you turn. But anyways, there's three major grand themes that we've covered for the last 10 months, okay? And so one of my great desires, without cheating, without looking at the screen, you would be able to know and mention the three main themes of the book of Acts. So I know it's impossible. Most of you have already peaked. I get that. So let's just get them here on the screen in some detail. Three major themes that have guided us over the last 10 months again through Acts. Going into 11 months now. Man, again, what a year it has been. Okay, power. The theme of power in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 55 zero times. Okay? That's so, by the way, have you done the biblical exercise yet of going through Acts and underlining or circling every time the Holy Spirit has mentioned? Please, before this series, we've been 10 months, okay? Before the series is over, take a morning. Take half an hour. Go through and find every time the Holy Spirit. It is such an encouraging exercise. The power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely integral, again, to any hope the church has. The theme of perseverance, massive theme in the book of Acts, is encouragement and perseverance. In fact, do you know one of the overarching themes of the New Testament is perseverance? Why do you think God would go out of his way by his spirit in his word to tell his church over and over and over again, hey, you need to persevere? Why the theme of perseverance? Here's why. Because the Christian road is narrow and hard, and those who find it are few. Promise of suffering, promise of difficulty, promise of trial. The reason God keeps saying, got to persevere, got to persevere, is because the church will come to times, a lot of the time, where we'll want to give up. Perseverance is massive. Now watch this, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit, the perseverance in the gospel for the point to witness. The entire book testifies to the Spirit-empowered witness of the early church and the perseverance, again, that the Spirit gives. The power of the Holy Spirit to witness to the gospel. The perseverance to not give up, to witness to the gospel. Those are the three main themes Again, through the book of Acts, and we're going to see each one today in our text again. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter uh, 21, and we'll be looking at 21 primarily, but also a bit of chapter 22 as well. And in fact, I want to launch off our time today in chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. Just before I forget, um, all those who are watching online, we're going to end our service today with the Lord's Supper. And so I hope you are aware of that with our family chat this week in the e-news. But just in case you were um, not aware, if you are choosing to participate with us in the appropriate manner, then making sure you're prepared at the end of our service, we're going to be doing that together, which is very special for us today. First time we have done that in this way um, in several months, of course. Okay, so Acts chapter 22, look at verse 14 and 15. This is Paul recounting his story of salvation. And within his story, he recounts how Ananias said these words to Paul, okay? So Paul says in verse 14, And he, Ananias, said, 
the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Why? For you, this is it, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Okay, so look at the text there. Paul here, it is clear, was appointed by God to see and hear Jesus Christ in order, notice, that he might be a witness in the power of the Holy Spirit to the gospel. So we're seeing this. The moment Paul is transformed, I love this, the moment Paul is transformed, his purpose is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the day. Like I remember the day when my life was transformed in the Lord Jesus Christ. March 9th, 97. And it's incredible to me when regeneration, new birth takes place. One moment you were dead, the next moment you are alive. And what happens? The moment you come to the real, I, I know for some it's over a period of, of days or years, whatever it might be, but the moment you come to the realization, I was dead, now I'm alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instantly what happens within you, there's a rising up and there's, you, are, you are compelled to understand, wait, 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 I was dead, now I'm alive? You mean, wait, wait, Jesus Christ is the Savior and the forgiver of my sins? Jesus Christ is the path to eternal life and glory? Wait, 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 you mean, you mean I'm not dead, I'm alive? I gotta tell someone. Like just, it, just, it just naturally bubbles up from within you to be a witness. The Holy Spirit does that. You are saved and you cannot help but sing and tell and speak of Christ. That, that's how the gospel works. That's how it's supposed to. That's why we love new converts, don't we? New converts to Jesus Christ. That, that, that's what happens. <coughs> they, they, they come alive in, in, the, in the Lord Jesus Christ and they just, it bubbles up from, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, this Jesus, man, he saved you from sin and death and, and darkness. And how about for those of us then that, that, that maybe remember a time like that, but right now there's been a, a dry time and a time to say, well, I'm not really a witness in that way and, and listen, I think we have to join with David. Here's the key where David prays this prayer. Oh God, restore to me the joy of, of your salvation. See, because the new convert has such a joy that they are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can hold them back. I'm telling you, hey church, all those watching right now, the power, the difference, the opportunity, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So our, our sermon title today is this, if it hasn't been seen already, it's Power, Perseverance, All Caps, Witness. The power, perseverance, and the wit to be a witness for the Lord Jesus. Remember the verse that summarizes this entire book, Acts 1.8. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Look at the theological math there, loved ones. And you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, witnesses to the gospel. So we take this theme of witness. Paul was God's witness to the gospel. We're going to learn from this witness today. Let's be challenged in our own witness. Help us, Lord. Point number one is this then. The witness shows up. Okay? The witness Shows up. If you look at chapter 21 now, verse 17, go to chapter 1, verse 17, 
and we see in the very first part of verse 17, the text says, when we had come to Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading that for the first time, you might be, oh, that's nice, they went to Jerusalem. Wait, 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 notice the significance of this phrase. You say, what do you mean by that? In Acts 20 and 21 alone, you had four things happening in terms of Paul going to Jerusalem. First of all, you had the Holy Spirit promising that imprisonment and affliction awaited Paul in every city, starting with Jerusalem. Then you had the disciples pleading with Paul not to go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit revealed to them the suffering that he would encounter. Then you had the prophet Agabus, who came down from Judea to perform a physical illustration, and he grabbed Paul's belt and he said, the man that this belt belongs to will be bound like this, his hands and his legs together, when he goes to Jerusalem. Then after this, you had the disciples again urging him not to go to Jerusalem because what awaits him. So four times in just a few verses, these warnings about Paul going to Jerusalem. Well, let's be reminded of our key verse that we just read, Acts 22, verse 15. Paul, appointed by God to be a witness to everyone. Okay? Look up here for a second. Ready? Look up here. Ready? 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 When you are appointed by God to be a witness, you show up. That's just how it works. When God appoints you and you are called, you show up. Let's stop, stop and ask ourselves for a moment, though. Again, live in the text. Live in the text, Right? Ask yourselves for a moment, if you were Paul in this situation, would you have shown up? I mean, in all seriousness, where you are right now, your kind of walk with the Lord and your level of courage or fear, do you think you would have shown up? Because it's not a question of what will happen, right? You're like, well, maybe I'll go and we'll see what happens. Well, you know what's going to happen. Imprisonment, suffering, physical beatings. You're guaranteed this is what's going to happen. Again, ask yourselves, do you, think, do you think you'd show up? On top of that, you have godly men and women, like full-out, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, and they're all telling you, don't go, don't go. Like people you trust, people you love, people who love you, and they're all saying to you, Paul, don't go. And yet beyond that, Paul's been constrained by the Holy Spirit as Acts has told us, and you have to imagine that as, as godly as Paul was, he had to have times of nervousness. There had to have been nights as he approached Jerusalem and the specific promises of the Spirit. He had to have woken up in cold sweats sometimes or just sweats of just fright and anxiety. Can you imagine the accusation from the enemy of Paul Upon Paul's heart and mind. Can you imagine the torment he must have gone through at times? But bless his heart, loved ones, he shows up. He shows up. You know, we're living in a day where showing up is coming at a greater cost. Showing up with the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ is coming with a greater and greater cost in the history of this nation and, and in this con. And even, 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 listen, showing up with the grace of and love of Jesus Christ, which should always come with the truth. I remember reading a few weeks ago, just Samaritan's Purse during the season of COVID, setting up a temporary hospital in New York, just there to care for anyone who would come, anyone who would come, setting up a hospital at their own cost, cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, I understand, if not way more than that. 
but they were attacked and they were condemned for their stance on biblical sexuality. And in the end, all this controversy, in the end, they were kind of asked to leave. They were there, but they showed up in the love of Jesus Christ and truth and grace, but they showed up. That, what I just said to you, that would not have happened 10 years ago. That's how fast our world is changing. That would have been unthinkable, I think, even 10 years ago. And here we are now showing up with the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is coming at a cost when your entire motivation is to care for physically the sick of anyone, regardless of where they come from, anyone who would come. Man, times have changed. The call and the cost to show up, though, remains. It remains. What I love about Paul here, as much as he probably had times of, again, nervousness and, and maybe times of some anxiety, but I think inherent to this, though, he was fired up and also filled with joy. Why? Because when you are at the center of God's will, there's nothing like it. Right? So, so the times that I'm usually most miserable are the times that I'm most comfortable. The times when it's really about me. The times when it's just things are going as you think they should. But then the times where there's difficulty or suffering or trial. The times of weakness and all of a sudden what happens? Dependence on God. Love for God. Need for God. Prayer to God. Worship of God. Lessening of self. Increase of Christ. And as much as you're hurting and weak and you've all been through this. As much as you're hurting and suffering and weak, all of a sudden the joy and the love and the power and the clarity and the perspective that's found in Jesus Christ that you would never get when everything in life is going smoothly. And here's Paul, here's Paul. Again, it's so tough, but again, he had to have sensed, I am directly in the center of God's will and the peace and the joy and the power which all his epistles testify to. Question, what is God asking you to show up to today? What is God asking you to show up to? You realize that um, you can't be a witness if you don't show up? It's impossible to be a witness if we fail to show up. For some of us, we are being called to be a witness in grace and truth with the gospel and caring for the poor and the sick. God has specifically called you to do that, to love people practically, to love them spiritually. Many of us are being called to go to our neighbors with the gospel in this season. To come up with love and grace and truth, but with the message of love and salvation in, in Jesus Christ. Some of us are being called to show up to give to the kingdom in a way we've never given before. Because we realize in the end of the day that's the only investment that matters. Can't be a witness if we don't show up. All of us are being called to lovingly stand for truth in a time where it is not wanted and it is shamed and it is often rejected and yet it remains to be the message that saves people from death and leads them to life. You know, we are, we are in a time right now where many, the Bible predicts, Jesus even says at the end times in Luke's gospel, we are in a time right now where many will fall away the love of many will grow cold and many will fall away, the Bible says. Many will shrink back. We are in a time because the cost gets greater, people all of a sudden say, I don't want that cost. I want life to be easy. And they will fall away from the Christian faith as the Bible predicts, proving they were never truly saved or God's children to begin with. Many, many right now are not showing up with the gospel in the pulpit. 
they are falling away from God's truth in the gospel because of the pressure and again that that surrounds us. But I believe this, we are also at a time of the refiner's fire where the Lord is refining and we will see by God's spirit many who will show up like never before because they will show up because they recognize there's nothing ultimately else to live for. Just like Paul, he's like, he's like, what else am I going to do? It's like Peter with Jesus. Jesus says, are you going to go away too? He's like, Peter's like, Jesus, where else can we go? You hold the words of eternal life. That's showing up. This is what Paul's doing, and this is what we're called to do too. It's amazing to me, again, if you look on history, it's amazing how many witnesses for Jesus showed up to die. How many martyred for their faith? How many burned at the stake? How many lost their heads? How many simply, they showed up in the testimony of Jesus Christ, fully well knowing they were going to die. Say, who would do that? Those who know they lose their life to find it. It's, it's, it's unspeakably beautiful in eternity. It's so powerful when you know you live for so much and someone so powerful and glorious that you're willing to forsake all. Paul says, I count all things as loss compared to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. That is an incredibly supernatural, powerful way to live. Those are the men and women who will show up because they realize that's what life is really about in the end. So, the witness shows up. Point number two, the witness is beat up. He shows up and he's beat up. Look at chapter 21, verse 27 now, okay? I want to read this for us, get our context here, and we'll comment. 21, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, so Paul was hanging out with the um, Jerusalem church, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, can you just imagine that? Help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, against the law, and against this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, which was punishable by death, as we'll see in a few moments. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, live in the text, live in the text. Imagine this. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the, to the tribune of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the, the tribune, the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Wow. For the mob of the people followed crying, away with him, away with him. Wow. So, if you look at verse 26, we see that Paul with four other men sought to purify himself with what was likely a Nazarite vow. Why would Paul do this? Okay, you got to pay attention here. He was persuaded by the Jerusalem church to do so in an attempt to appease the Jews. So rumors were flying around all over the place about Paul, right? 
and so many of them were just fake. They were false. And one of the rumors was uh, Paul rejects the teachings of Moses. And Paul forbids parents to circumcise their children. Things that just aren't true. But things that any Jewish person following the law would be tremendously upset about. So the Jerusalem church says, hey, listen, Paul, Paul. If you take this Nazarite vow, people will see that you're not totally rejecting the stuff and they'll probably think, oh, okay, that, that will appease them. He's not, you know. And so this was under the category of nice try. It would not work. Because instead, quote, the Jews from Asia, now most likely the Jews from Ephesus. How many years did Paul spend in Ephesus? Three. How much life change, change took place in Ephesus? A lot. The Holy Spirit was changing lives all over the place. And the Jewish leaders in Ephesus, they were watching the main leader, Paul, as the instigator and the man to this movement of of changing everything in their midst. They were so upset. They were angry. They were filled with hatred. And they blamed Paul. So they are filled with rage. So imagine the scene. They're in Jerusalem at this time of the year with the festivals going on. Hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million people in Jerusalem. Okay? Paul's there walking around the temple. The Jews from Ephesus, they say, there he is. There's that guy. There's the guy that, again, the whole crowd laid hands on him. Can you imagine being Paul as well? Like hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and this mob and violence breaks out and you're the center of it? Like you're in the center of this this violent mob. They're all trying to get you. And then in verse 28, notice, these people say, he's teaching against the people. He's teaching against the law, and he's teaching against this place, meaning, again, the temple. All of that was, of course, unfounded, but would strike tremendous rage and anger within the Jews that are there. They even accuse Paul of bringing a Greek, Trophimus, into the temple, the text says, which they, suppo- they saw him in the city, but then they suppose, well, he must have brought them into the temple, which was, again, totally unfounded. But here's why this is so important. Here's a, a sign that was outside by the court of the Gentiles before into the proper entrance where the Jewish people were in the temple. It read this way. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. Okay, so if you were a non-Jew, in this case Trophimus, and you entered into the temple, again, that is, um, that is punishable by death. So what the Jewish people do is they had only seen Paul with Trophimus in the city, but they conclude he must have been in the temple because that's what prejudice does. It prejudges. Prejudice judges without the facts. So we read, they seize Paul, they drag Paul to the temple. Then verse 31 says, they were seeking to kill him. The whole place is going nuts. Picture the chaos. The mob is unleashed. By the way, what's a mob? A mob is a body of people with no head. It's just a train wreck of confusion. Again, again, like, imagine being Paul. Imagine being Paul. This is what you showed up to. You know what's so interesting? It was a couple of decades previously, Paul was the one in Jerusalem inciting a violent mob against Stephen to see Stephen killed. And now, several years later, Paul is the one now in the center of the violent mob, the one that everyone's trying to kill for the exact same reason Stephen died also. 
a love for Jesus Christ and a calling of life towards the gospel message of Jesus, of forgiveness of sins. Amazing. So the mob attacks Paul. They seize him. They drag him out. They're beating him. They desire to kill him, the text says explicitly. The tribune's informed. The tribune was a commander of a thousand Roman soldiers. They get there very fast. How do they get there fast? Because in one of the corners of the temple was Antonio Fortress. And the Antonio Fortress held the Roman soldiers. In this case, probably a couple hundred of them. Because we mentioned centurions in the text. Obviously, a centurion overseeing a hundred soldiers. They were their position for situations just like this. They run down. They try to make sure the thing doesn't go totally crazy. When the Jews see the tribune coming, the text says they stop beating Paul. They're afraid. But they're, but they're pounding him. Like a whole bunch of them are pounding him and beating Paul. They arrive quickly, and then the tribune says, arrest this man, bound him with chains. Now right here, this is when Agabus' prophecy is now fulfilled. Paul is bound with two chains. He is tied up. He is delivered over to the authorities. The confusion erupts. The tribune has no idea who Paul really is, and the crowd starts to cry out, away with him, away with him. Now that doesn't mean um, be rid of him. That means get him off this earth. Kill him. It's very reminiscent um, of, of what the crowd said to Jesus in his mock trial. Crucify him. Crucify him. Again, same city. Maybe even some of the same people. Who knows? And they're saying, away with him. Get rid of him. Doesn't your heart go out to Paul? Again, you live in the text. Crazy town. Paul shows up with faith. He's beat up by a mob. He shows up with faith. He's beat up by a mob. Listen, that he might speak up. For Jesus Christ. Just before we move on to point three here, I, I want to again bring some verses that Paul mentioned in his letters. It's so interesting. I show up, he gets beat up to be able to testify and speak for Christ. In Romans 8, he says, For we are like sheep being killed all the day long, like sheep being led to the slaughter. Paul's like, I'm just, I'm dying every day for Jesus Christ in a sense. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For we carry around in us all the time the death of Jesus in order that we might manifest his life to you. Basically says, Paul, I keep dying that I might present life. I show up, I get beat up, that I might testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I'm telling you, all those listening right now, if you want to genuinely be a follower of Jesus Christ and be used by him, the process must ensue. The process must include death to self for life in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. We become less. Jesus Christ becomes more. You just can't avoid it. And Paul's living it before our eyes right here, right now. Listen, he shows up to get beat up. Ultimately here, number three, the witness speaks up. The witness speaks up. So too many verses here to go through in detail. By the way, this is your homework. Chapter 22 is your homework. Best homework ever. Best homework ever. Go through in detail. Paul recounts his salvation story. Let me just start with 21 verse 37 though, okay? Look at 21 verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And the tribune perked up my, my translation and says, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, not at all. That's my translation too. He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city, 
I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, just imagine, Paul standing on the steps to a crowd that wants him dead, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush as he addressed them in the Hebrew language. What a scene that was. Can you imagine the violence, the mob, the chaos, the confusion? And then Paul stands up with his hand and begins to speak again in, in, the, in the common Hebrew language, in this case probably Aramaic, and everyone, and everyone all of a sudden goes silent to hear what he's going to say. Chapter 22, brothers and fathers, hear the defense I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said. And for me, it's not hard to love the heart of Paul here. Like this guy lives a roller coaster ride of near death by violence seemingly every week of his life. He shows up here, he knows he will get beat up. But his heart for Christ is so big. Listen, he begs for an opportunity to speak. Hey, notice, church, notice, he's not just here to survive. He's on a mission to testify, to witness. Now, again, again, if, if you live in the text, okay, he shows up, he gets beat up by a violent mob. Like, surely he was pounded, kicked. I mean, surely at this point he's bleeding. Surely he's got black eyes. Surely he's wounded. Surely he's just in so much pain. Surely at this point you can be like, man, well, I did what I could. I'm here. I went through all this stuff. The, the, the mob almost killed me. The tribune soldiers, they came and saved me. He'd be like, okay, I'm just going to go to the barracks. Let me just go to the prison and just be safe. He, surely that would have been fine. Surely. I tried, you know. But at this moment, he stops in the midst of getting wounded and again, totally beat up by this mob. And he stops right here. And the verse that strikes me so much is verse 39, where he says to the tribune, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. I beg you. It's incredible to me. Question, what are you begging for in life right now? What are you begging for? What do you, what do you want the most in life right now? I think so often for us, it's self-motivated, isn't it? Let's just, in the context of begging God for stuff, God, I beg you for ease, I beg you for comfort, I beg you for blessing, I beg you for rest, I beg you for security, I beg you for provision. That's usually what I hear and the people I talk to. Maybe let's, let's, let, let's put it this way. When's the last time you begged God for an opportunity to witness for him? That's good. I'll say it again. When's the last time we begged God for an opportunity to witness for him? And I think if we are honest, when the difficulty comes, we often run for the escape hatch. We plead with God for ease. But here's Paul in our text. Within, you could say arguably, one of the more difficult, intense, threatening, violent, persecuted, frightening context ever and his heart is to beg to witness for Jesus Christ. Wow. God, forgive us for being so selfish and scared and timid and tentative. Forgive us, Lord, and fill us, Lord. You know, I'm convinced that the reason so few of us share our faith anywhere close to this reality, the reason so few of us share our faith because so few of us beg God to make us a witness for him. And trust me, I'm not speaking to you right now. I'm just joining with you. Trust me. 
I think the reason so few of us are powerful witnesses of Christ is so few of us actually beg God, beg God to make us witnesses for him. You know, you think of all the powerful men and women of the past who have been such powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. They keep showing up. Often they get beat up. I think of George Whitfield, again, one of the preaching heroes of the church ever. He was such a, a man so filled with the gospel. He was preaching the true gospel. He got kicked out of the church because the church didn't want the true gospel there. He showed up. He got beat up. He got tossed. So he started doing open-air preaching. God had gifted him so his voice could carry to reach thousands in the open air. But as he did this, of course, he came across people who hated him. I mean, as he was preaching, he often built these little kind of small platforms he would stand on. And people would whip like rotten vegetables and fruit, rotten tomatoes and rotten. They'd they, they, they chuck food at him as he's preaching the gospel. But it got worse. They even threw dead cats at him. Can you imagine you're up there preaching and people tossing dead cats at you because they hate you so much, the message you're saying. But he kept showing up. He got beat up by dead cats to testify, to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. You think of people like William Tyndale just trying to transfer the word of God into a message that people could read in everyday language and, and being burnt at the stake and about to be suffocated. And his prayer is in that moment of showing up to die for the Lord Jesus Christ and says a prayer, O oh Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Incredible. Just incredible. Witnesses for Christ at the cost of their own life. So what Paul does here in verse chapter 22, which is the one I want you to go through today at some point, he shares his testimony again. He's, he's pleading with his audience. He's like, listen, my life before Christ, man, I was like you. I was trying to see Christians murdered. I was the Jew of the Jews. But then the light from Jesus Christ met me on one day in the road to Damascus, and the light shone in my heart. I was never the same again. His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, again, filled me. His grace cleansed me and forgave me. Again, I have not been the same man since. Paul is pleading. He's like, listen, I had no purpose before. I have purpose now. My destination is guaranteed. My passion is focused. For all those who are looking and lost and lonely, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the answer to eternal life. God is calling witnesses to speak for him in our day. You know, just recently I was reading a book on transgenderism. And in this book, it's reporting this in the last few years. It says, today's adolescents report greater loneliness than in any generation on record. In America, Britain, and Canada, teenagers are in the midst of what psychologists are calling a mental health crisis showing record levels of anxiety and depression. Between 2009 and 2017, the number of high schoolers contemplating suicide increased by 25%. The number of teens diagnosed with clinical depression grew 37% between 2005 and 2014. The worst hit in this group were teenage girls. Self-harm has seen a spike of 62% since 2009. Among preteen girls aged 10 to 14, rates of self-harm are up 189%, nearly triple of what they were only six years ago. 
One podcast host hearing these stats in an interview, he asked, what happened? What is going on? Two words came in response from the psychologist Jonathan Haid, who was being interviewed. Two words were his response, and they were social media. Gene Twenge, writing an article, stated this, It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades, and much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. And what's being found on their phones is anything but the true path to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. My point is here, men, we have the chance to be a witness to a whole generation. That is, every stat I read there, every stat to me, is a cry, a massive cry of lostness and a massive cry for help. And the world keeps trying to give the answers and they promise happiness, but it's bottoming out life after life after life after life. And all we hear are the stories of seemingly success. And yet the vast majority are the ones that are in the basement, in the toilet, in the garbage dump, completely void of any promises that were made to them in the beginning. Loved ones, we have the answer. You know what's going to happen to you? You testify in our day to the things that we know. You'll be shamed. You'll be rejected. You'll come at a cost. You'll be hated. You'll be ridiculed. You'll be mocked. You'll be scorned, just like everyone who's gone before us. I know, man, it's tough, and it's scary, and it's hard, but the reality is God will put in our lives the very people, young men and women, and so many others who are desperately crying out to hear the message of life that is only found in Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? Like, this is the witness that we are to be for Jesus. God, help us. Can you imagine if each one of us, God, I beg you to make me a witness for you. Here's the reality, too. Many of us enter into different conversations at different times where we have the opportunity to step through the door to be a witness for Jesus, but we let it close and we move on. I know, I know. Because at that moment, you're deciding then to not fit in all the time. In that moment, you're deciding to not necessarily be liked. In that moment, you're deciding to step forward in faith at the cost of being rejected. But in that moment, you are also taking the opportunity, step by faith, to actually present the message that saves people from eternal separation and hell away from Jesus Christ forever. That is what's at stake. God help us. God help us. God help me. You will not be regretting in eternity one moment, one moment that you stepped out of your comfort zone or my comfort zone to speak of the light and the love and the message of life found in Jesus. Paul is testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of his speech here in verse 21 he mentions that god says go to the gentiles the moment he mentions gentiles the crowd freaks out again because they can't stand the thought of god reaching anyone but the jewish people you know the story here of paul it seems kind of disappointing because the people in the end reject him he gets sent away but yet the lord is working precisely isn't he i got to imagine the seeds being planted and the exposure to the gospel for a future harvest loved ones here the witness shows up he gets beat up and he speaks up for Jesus Christ. Power, perseverance, and witness.